Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 21. I got to get into the word real quickly with you. I'm so excited about what the Lord is doing, what God is saying. To all of our guests, welcome again, your first time here. We're honored that you are with us. I know you could be anywhere, but you're here with us this morning, and I'm so glad you are. This is Palm Sunday. I, I really don't just look for a message, you, you know, for particular days. I really don't. I always ask the Lord what he wants me to uh, release. But I believe he took me to this, to this chapter that I think everybody will be familiar with. It's found in all the Gospels, all four of them. And in Matthew 21, it says this in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage of, of, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and he set, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came in to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your anointing and your spirit that is here. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this room right now. Even as your word goes forth, I thank you for it and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Now, I know no doubt that many people in this room, I've been praying for you way before we ever got to this service. But I know that no doubt many of you in this room, or several of you, I know have been going through it. There's no doubt different obstacles attacking every family and every, every uh, uh, you know, every individual, every person. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with an addiction. It really doesn't matter. If you're dealing with the financial issue, it's just as great as the addiction. If you're dealing with an illness, it's as great. When it's happening to you, I'm telling you, when it's going on in you, nobody feels it like you do. But the word that I have for you this morning is simply this. Your victory has come. It's not coming. It's here. Your victory has come. I want you to look at your neighbor and prophesy to them real quick. Matter of fact, you're not prophesying. You're just telling them the truth. Your victory has come. On this Palm Sunday as we're heading into Easter, getting ready, this was the beginning of of Holy Week, 
of what we would call Holy Week. It was the beginning of one of the greatest nightmares that could ever begin to really take place in a person's life. But everything in that week that would go on and everything that would bring us to Easter is absolutely all about every one of us in this room. I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage. I'm just going to pull a few things out that I feel like the Lord has given me. First of all, it says that when Jesus came near to Jerusalem, he came near to a village or a community called Bethphage. Bethphage in the Hebrew just simply means a place of unripened figs. A place of unripened figs. I find everything in the scripture. I don't think there's one spot. I don't think there's one word that is insignificant to, to, to the story and even to our lives. Because first of all, all through the scripture, figs have played a great role. Matter of fact, if you were a person, if you were a person that had a fig tree, you were really considered to be blessed because that fig tree was a sign of prosperity. That fig tree was a sign of covering. Matter of fact, we know that fig trees was in the garden of Eden because when Adam sinned against the Lord, the thing that he did when he sinned, he went and got among the fig trees and from the fig leaves he began to make a covering for himself. It plays a significant role. He was trying to find his welfare, his well-being again. He was trying to find his security and he found it at that place. He found it in that fig leaf. But remember, this means the place of unripened figs. It hasn't produced that yet. It hasn't got to that place. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you know you're a child of God. Maybe you've been living for the Lord a long time. But you feel like, Pastor, I don't feel like my well-being is good. I don't feel like I have any security. I don't feel prosperous. Matter of fact, I feel more cursed than ever before. But I'm here to let you know. I'm going to tell you one more time. Your victory has come. Jesus come to the place. Matter of fact, you may feel like that, but that don't mean anything because Jesus come to deal with you. He come to touch you. Now, he's not coming. I'm, I'm reading, and you just heard a story that's predicting or prophesying into the future that he's coming. But you and I are in a different place than them. We're not in the place, Charlie, that he's coming. We're in the place that he has come. In the book of Leviticus, or book of Luke, chapter thirteen, there's a parable that Jesus is speaking about there of a man that had a fig tree, just happened to be a fig tree, and this fig tree wasn't producing, and he's getting ready to cut it down. I'm just no good. It's of no value. It doesn't have anything to offer me. So he was getting ready to cut it down until the Lord comes along. He said, "Leave it alone." He said, let me, let me have it for another year. Let me have it. And he dug around that tree. The Bible says he dug around that tree. Not only did, did he dig around that tree, but he dung it. 
He fertilized it. He began to do something with it. And the moment that Jesus got his hands on it, everything about that tree began to turn around. And I'm here to let you know what you need is Jesus just to put his hands upon you and everything about you can change in an instant and in a moment of time. He come to the place of Bethphage, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. It's the place. You know, boy, this is a very significant place. This is a place where the Garden of Gethsemane would be, where Jesus would go into that garden just before he would be betrayed. And he would agonize and he would, he would pray, Father, if it be your cup, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus would say it a couple different times and he would walk out, come back again. He was in a turmoil. His sweat became like great drops of blood in there. But there was something greater that was before him that was allowing him to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And the thing that was before him was every one of us in this room. Jesus was agonizing. He was literally interceding. I believe the Bible tells us now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high where he ever where he ever lives to make intercession for us he is declaring wait a minute father I know they blew it I know their life is a mess I know they've done a lot of nonsense in their own way but I'm paying the price for them I've dealt with that I've dealt with their sin I've taken their sickness I've taken their disease. I've already taken it. Father, I pray that you keep them encouraged. Send a preacher by him and let them know that it's already taken care of. Look at your neighbor and say, it's already taken care of. It's already, it really has. It's already been taken care of. It's the place where Jesus would agonize for us. It's the place where the Jews believed that Messiah will come. It's our place of hope that they believe that he will come. But we don't believe he's coming. We know he has come. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt he has come. That he has paid the price for redemption. And he has ascended into heaven on high to take the blood that he shed himself to offer on the mercy seat for us that will satisfy the heart of heaven so that you and I can be free to be everything that God wants us to be. But here's a greater hope. As Jesus was ascending, he told those disciples, what are you guys gazing at? This same Jesus, as you see going up, the angel said, he's going to come back in like manner. I don't know about you. We're only passing through this world. It's only a temporary place. One day, Jesus is going to come back for his people. It's a place of hope. So he's at this place called Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. And then he says to his disciples, okay, go into the city. You're going to find a coat that is a donkey and her fold that is tied there. And go bring them. And when you get there, if somebody asks you or inquires about it, you just tell them the master has need of them. Now, here's the point I want to make with you. This is the time. It is the right time. 
It's not before time. It's not after time. It is the time. I'm here to declare unto you, this is the time of victory for the people of God. And all that will dare to believe and receive everything that God has done for you. This is the time. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. You didn't miss it. I don't care what you did yesterday. You managed to get to midnight. At midnight, his mercy became new to you and his grace is just as full his grace is just as free for everyone in this room look at your neighbor and say I'm in the right time I I, I want to get a little bit further ahead I'm going to go back and deal with the donkey in a moment but you and I need to understand what was happening when he got the donkey the Bible said the disciples took off their cloaks, their outer garments, and others put their cloak over the donkey, and Jesus set himself on and began to ride in. And as they began to come in, they would take their cloaks as well, lay them before him, and then they would wave the palm branches. They would wave them before him, and this is what they're shouting and saying. Hosanna to the Son of God. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, listen, this is what they were saying when they were saying Hosanna to the Son of God. They, said, they were saying, Hosanna, our God save us. God deliver us. That's what the word Hosanna means. They were crying out, God deliver us from the oppression that we're in. We've been waiting upon you. We've been looking at you. So they begin to wave the palm branches. What did the palm branches represent? It represented victory. It was a victory symbol. It was not an unusual thing that would happen among Israel. For them to wave palm branches, it would be used when the king would come to town. They would wave the palm branches as a sign of victory as the king, as a hero of war or of battle would come back off the battlefield and they would ride in on their horses. The people would take the palm branches and they would wave them because it is a sign of victory. Church, listen to me. This just isn't some religious holiday, but God is reminding us in seven days from this moment, I'm going to bring victory when I come off of that cross, get in that tomb, and come forth. Victory is ours. Now, that's back there. Victory's already come, right? Matter of fact, it was a symbol. It was a symbol. If, if in the athletics of that day, in the Greeks and all of that were, were big about, the, uh, about sports. And, you know, you've seen, that, seen those things. And they would award the winners. They would award the, those that, that overcame. They would award them. You and I would get a medal around our neck or they would give us a trophy. But to them, they gave them a palm branch. Because it was a symbol. You're victorious. You're victorious in every way. The people shouted, Hosanna, God, will you come and save us? Look at this picture. They wanted it. They believed that Jesus was their answer. So here comes Jesus. 
Now let's back up and let's deal with the donkey for a few moments. Because I think the donkey is very important. The donkey and her foe. Everything that Jesus was doing. He was fulfilling the prophecy of the prophets of old. Especially the prophet Zechariah. They're going to put it up on your screen. Zechariah verses 9 and 10. And it says something like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. This is hundreds, this is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Notice what he says. The prophet prophesies into the future. Jerusalem, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, and he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. And his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. It was a fulfillment of prophecy, first of all, that Jesus would come riding lowly on a donkey. Because rulers, kings, warriors always come riding in on a horse. A horse in that day was a symbol of war. It was a symbol in one sense of strength. David said it like this. I pray this prayer a lot when I'm praying. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But I will put my trust in the name of the Lord my God. When you have all these chariots and horses. Matter of fact, David's greatest sin got to be. When David decided instead of trusting God in his goodness and grace, let me count how many warriors I got. Let me count how many horses I've got. Let me count how many chariots that we might have. Because he began to put his strength there. But the Bible said to Jerusalem, listen, this is why you and I need to understand sometimes. Sometimes you're looking for something great to happen. And sometimes it comes in a lowly, humble manner to bring you the victory that will transform your life forever. He came in on that lowly donkey. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's been fulfilled. Everybody say it's fulfilled. He come. Victory isn't coming, it's come. Not only that, it gives us a picture of an Old Testament picture. You remember when Abraham desired to have a son. And God finally gives him one. And he calls his name what? Isaac. And after he's, you know, gotten up in age, God speaks to Abram. And he says, Abram, I want you to go to the mountain and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And the word said that Abram set Isaac upon his donkey. And off they went up to the mountain for the sole purpose that he's going to go there to be offered. You know, as a symbol in a sense, we know God held his hand. But it was a picture of a Christ, a sacrifice that was to come. That donkey was not only 
Not only was it a fulfillment of prophecy, not only is it a prophetic picture of something, it's all Jesus connected with this donkey, but it's also he's a beast of burden. Two, two different things that would happen with the donkey. You, you see, everybody could have a donkey. Everybody. It's kind of interesting that when King Saul, uh, when, when the prophet found him, he was out looking for his father's donkey because that's how valuable, important they were. But this donkey had a responsibility. He would be known as a beast of burden. A couple of things he would do. He would carry people around. He would be a modern-day taxi cab or Uber. He would get them around. They would move around on donkeys. But not only were they carriers, but they would carry heavy loads. They would carry their goods. They would put it upon this donkey. Most of us got this picture that everything that happened in that day was through the camels. And if you go back and read, if you go back and look at history, there was more done through the donkeys than even the camels. So how does this relate to us? Remember, it was so important for Jesus to come riding in because he was showing us. Here's a couple of things that I believe God wants you to know. As those disciples took, their, took, those, uh, took those donkeys, the first thing they did was to take their coats and throw it over the donkey so that Jesus could sit on it. Now, you just got to work with me. If you don't agree with me, it's all right. It's okay for you to see it the way you do, all right? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just telling you how God's revealed it to me. This is what I believe the Lord is saying. He said, I want you to take and cast your burdens on me, and I want you to let me carry them. That's what he was telling us. You don't have to carry those burdens any longer. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to let them lead you. You don't have to feel the weight of them. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said this. Or yeah, chapter 11, verse 28, I believe it is. Casting all your care. No, that's not it. Come unto me, all ye. There it is. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened. All ye that are at labor. And find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. And and he said, you will find rest. Come on. He said, I want you to cast. I want you to cast your burden upon me. You don't have to carry this thing any longer. You don't have to carry the weight of that thing any longer. Because Jesus is wanting to carry it. Jesus is wanting to do that. Not only, listen, not only is it a means of carrying the load. And they threw it before it. Jesus, he was coming in on it. He was saying to us, I am making a way for you. That you can come boldly to the throne of grace. And you can find grace and mercy for your time of need. When you don't think you can get there, I'm here to tell you Jesus has made a way for you. I'm not saying Jesus is the donkey. It's the relation. It's something that's happening there in that picture of what that donkey represented. Not only that, but that donkey is telling us something else. That God's got more blessings. He's got more resource. He's got more things for you than you could ever imagine. Matter of fact, God said he daily loadeth us with benefits through the work of Jesus. We can receive all the blessings of heaven. So here comes Jesus riding on this donkey. 
innocent that no man has been on. Again, picturing Jesus, who was totally innocent, who knew no sin, but yet he was willing to take all of our sin and iniquity, and he carried it himself. So here he comes riding in on the donkey. He makes a way for you and I. Three things happen, and I'm going to land the jet. Three things happen. First of all, after you see this, the people are shouting, Hosanna, salvation, will you come? Victory, will you come? Jesus, will you come? God, will you come and save us? I find it very interesting that when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? He comes, and we're still asking the question, uh, is this him? Is there somebody else? Is there something else we got to do? Matter of fact, what's interesting too in this, you may not think about it like this, but they're all shouting salvation come. So when he comes in just a few days, they're all going to shout a different thing. Crucify him. Because the very one they asked for, and because he didn't look like what they thought he ought to look like and come the way he thought he ought to come, the fact is now they don't recognize him. And he's doing all of these wonderful things before him. He's performed these miracles. He's healed the sick. He's done all of these things. Now they're shouting, blasphemer, crucify him. So three things Jesus does. Next thing that happens. I don't have time to read every verse, so I'm just going to share it with you. The next thing that happens, he goes to the temple. And when he goes in, we, we religious people love this verse. Boy, God is cleaning up his church. We love it. We, I, you would love it if preachers got up with whips. Put, his, put him on that post. We love that. I don't know why we do, but we love that. But was that what Jesus was really doing? He walks in. I'm not saying he wasn't doing any of that. No doubt he was indignant. No doubt at that moment what he saw going on in the house of the Lord was not pleasing. So Jesus come in and he began to turn over the tables. And he drove out all of those that bought and sold in the house of the Lord. Okay, so all you Facebook fans that put all these thank pictures up on Facebook... It cracks me up what, what we, the church, does. I saw one this morning. I saw one as I just checking my phone for a minute. And I saw this picture of this, you know, y'all seen these two picture things? I don't know how they do it. It was this large auditorium that seated thousands and thousands. And then it was this little bitty auditorium that may have not said 100 people. And the person that was dealing with it was talking about how ungodly this church at the top was and how holy this and at the bottom was. And you know who the unholy one is? It's usually the smaller. Because this is what we say. You really aren't living right and worthy enough to come into the presence of the God that we worship in our house. That's really what was happening in the day of Jesus. Because there was a court. 
One, they were operating in a permissible act of being if somebody lived a great distance off that was coming to the temple to sacrifice, they could bring, they could bring money, they could bring their gold, and they could exchange it for a sacrifice at the door that was given permission under law. But then those that were doing that were taking advantage of the people. They began to make, you know, extravagant to get a dove. They were making extravagant. It couldn't get in to get it. And then, here was another picture. There was a part of that temple, of that tabernacle, that was allowed those that weren't Jews to be able to come in and worship. But that place was blocked off by the tables. And they were saying, you are not worthy to come in. And what did Jesus do? He come in and he overthrew the tables. He moved out of the way. Keep it in context of what Jesus said. He said, shall not my house be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. In other words, all of us can come and approach the Lord. He made a way for us. He opened up a way that you and I could come before him and worship him. And the moment he made the way, the Bible said, then they brought the blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. Wait a minute. Who came in? Those that couldn't see. Those that were begging. Those that were blind. Those that didn't have any revelation like you got it. Now they're coming. And those that are lame, maybe they're not doing it right. Maybe they're not living up to everything that we think they are. They got a passion. They got a heart for Jesus or they would have never made their way there. But they got a limp. They're lame. But the Bible said the moment that happened, then they came in. And what did Jesus do? Jesus healed every one of them. I still contend uh, we, we've made healing all about us that believe. But Jesus made healing about all of them that were messed up. So that they would believe. You want to know why miracles don't happen in the church? We don't believe, Michael. But I don't need to see a miracle to believe. I've already got him. I do believe he wants me well. I do believe he wants me whole. I do believe he wants me prosperous. But if he doesn't, I'm still on my way to heaven. Oh, that's a story for another night. So he made a way for everyone to approach God and worship freely and receive everything they need. Friend, I know how it is. I know, I know some of you, it's a struggle to come in here. It's a struggle to sit in the house of God. Well, pastor, I'm here. Yeah, but you're thinking about everything that's messed up in your life. You're thinking possibly about the failure that happened yesterday. You're thinking about what went on. A friend of mine, I read recently a story. He had gone through the Teen Challenge movement and done so well, graduated, actually worked his way up into the ranks that he got a position with them. He was leading other leaders. He was leading other students through Teen Challenge. And recently I got a message that said he blew it. He fell off the wagon, lost everything. His words were this, I lost everything in a moment. 
Man, when you've gone through something like that, it's hard to go in, even into the house of the Lord. Because if we're not careful, <coughs> we can be so religious that, that they feel that pressure. And they're really wanting to be healed. Will somebody touch me? Can Jesus restore my soul? But a lot of times they walk out. I, I know some of you are struggling to be here. To hear us talk about God prospering you. And you got more bills than you know what to do with. I, I know some of you are struggling to be here this morning. To sit in this room. When we start talking about healing. And you're on more medication than, than the drugstore got. And you've been prayed for so many times. That you think I can't go through this anymore. And it's a struggle that you even begin to question. That God wants you. But the Bible said... The moment that the temple was clean and it was made a way for them to come that the power of God and I'm telling you I don't care I don't have to have Benny Hinn here we don't have to have any I've got some people in this room that believe in the power of God they'll agree with you and I believe you can walk out whole this morning I believe it your victory has come Here's the second thing he did. When he walks out of the temple in the morning, he returned to the city, was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it. He said, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Isn't that what it says? Yep, that's what's up there. Matthew 21, 19. Now, he didn't curse every fig tree. He cursed that tree. Remember what a fig tree represented to somebody that had it. It represented well-being. It represented security. It represented prosperity. If you had one, you were a blessed man. So Jesus is coming to receive from the blessing of that fig tree. It looks like it ought to have. But it don't have any fruit on it. From my understanding. Reading a little bit. Trying to find out what this really means. That wouldn't be an uncommon thing in a certain season. For that bud or whatever. That fig to drop off. And those leaves still be there. But it just so happened that it came. When Jesus was hungry. Looking for something. There was nothing on it. I believe there's two things that that fig tree represented. I believe it speaks of the religious order of the day. That has kept us in bondage. And kept you in bondage. To say you're going to have to pay penance for everything you've ever done or you will not be good enough. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that in order to make it. I believe Jesus is saying I am bringing an end to that religious order and it will not function in my kingdom anymore. But here's the second thing I believe it's saying. I believe it's saying for you that feel like you're barren. For you that feel like you're insecure. For you that feel like you're not blessed. You might even feel like you're cursed. God said, I'm cursing that idea once and for all. You're not going to live that way anymore. I come to bless you, not curse you. I come to lift you up, not put you down. I come to raise you up, not throw you out. I come to promote you, not demote you. I come for you to walk in blessing. And I want to say again, he didn't curse the whole fig tree or the whole, the whole fig, you know, the whole fig, whatever you call them. 
It was one tree that wasn't producing. And then finally, and I haven't seen this. I've read this verse a million times. But until I saw it through the eyes of this message. Let's go to verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, worship team, come on, get your place. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say unto you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatsoever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. He didn't say you might. He said you will. He alluded first of all to that fig tree. Because that fig tree was saying you can't. That fig tree was speaking to them and saying, no, you don't. That's not the will of God. God's will for everybody is that we live in poverty and we struggle in this life and we go through suffering. I know I've told this story here before, but I remember this woman years ago in our church, years ago, had a migraine. And you could tell she had it bad. And I went over to you. I said, are you all right? She said, I, no, I, I, I just got a migraine. I said, well, can we pray for you? And I never will forget it. This is what she said. No, I'm just suffering for the Lord. Diane's mom used to suffer with those things. She had a brain tumor years ago. She'd suffer with these incredible bad headaches. And when her mom would, you know, get these, I mean, it was very obvious. She, she, she was sick. But there was another brother in the church, good guy in the church, loving dearly. He meant well. This were his words. I never will forget him saying this one night. Well, I was praying. I was praying for you, Pat. And I was asking God to let me have that pain so you wouldn't. Boy, I'm talking religious people. I'm talking people that love God. He spoke to that fig tree. He said, look, I'm not going to let that order of stuff exist any longer but he said there's a mountain in front of you and I believe no doubt there was an illustrated sermon that he saw a mountain in the backdrop or over to their side wherever they're at but he said to them he said if you can believe if you can have faith and not doubt he said you're going to speak to that mountain now how many of you are speaking to your mountain he didn't say pray for it he said speak to it Speak to the thing that's standing in front of you. Speak to that impossibility. And then he goes on to say, and he said, whatsoever. He said, whatever thing you ask in prayer. What is whatever? Anything. Now, I'm going to give you a personal testimony, and i got to lay in this jet right here. I don't know if y'all could tell it this morning, but i got a new pair of shoes on. Yeah, they're black. I only get two styles, black, and maybe blacker. 
I don't know. That's it. But I got them on. Now, y'all know that I have to special order my shoes. My shoes don't come cheap. They're like 400 bucks a pair. And that's just where it is because of the size I wear. So I needed some shoes. And I always do this. God, I need some shoes. I got to have some shoes. We didn't throw that in our budget. It wasn't in the plan. So I have to order them. And I didn't know, you know, I, I just needed the resource. Okay, God, what are we going to do? I had a friend, last couple pair I've had, or last pair I got before this, I was having coffee at the brother. He just reaches in his pocket, pulls out $400 bills, say, here, go buy you some shoes. Or somebody come along, give me a card. Hey, why don't you go buy you some shoes? So I heard the Lord say, uh, uh, honest truth, uh, just go order. But I don't have the money. Just go order. So I waited a few weeks. Being real. I, I waited a few weeks. And I keep praying and I hear the Lord say, just go order them. Now don't you do something like this unless God speaks to you what to do. But I heard him say, go order them. Okay, God. So finally I get over to Brown Shoe Store and that's where I get them and told them what I wanted. They got on the computer and sent it in. I walked away. I said, okay, God, they're ordered. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? A couple weeks passed since I ordered. I thought, man, they haven't called me. Because they'll call me the moment they arrive. They haven't called me. Another week passed. Still no call. Fourth week passes. No call. Then finally I get an opportunity to speak at this little church. I don't ever go looking for anything. Don't ever ask for nothing. Matter of fact, more times than one, we wind up giving offerings back. But that night they gave me an offering. We walked away. Thanking the Lord, you know, we had an opportunity to be there. And so I just put it in my pocket till we got home. And when I opened that, that offering or that check up from that little church, there was $700 in that check. Wow! That's what I said. Wow! But then guess what happened? My shoes show up. At the moment I needed it, I, I'm making a point. I'm not trying to, I am boasting in the Lord. Because I've watched him do this so many times. He said, whatever you're believing for, if you can believe, you can have. If I'm reading the book right, you can have whatsoever, whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. I'm here to tell you, your victory has come. Your victory has come. It's here and it's now. 